Welcome to Gov Innovator. I'm Andy Feldman. Our topic today is how public agencies can use rapid, low-cost experiments to test out light-touch communication strategies that can help those agencies achieve their goals. Another focus today is how agencies can partner with academic researchers to run those types of experiments, and what characteristics of researcher-practitioner partnerships are likely to make them successful. To get insights into all those topics, we're joined by Adam Sikarni, an economist by training. He's a professor of health policy and management at the Mailman School of Public Health at Columbia University. He's been working with both the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, as well as the state of Colorado, on communications-related experiments. Adam, welcome. Thank you so much, Andy. So, Adam, in this podcast, I want to ask you about two experiments that you worked on, both health policy-related, although the strategies used and the lessons learned could be applied to any policy area. The first one I want to ask you about was done in collaboration with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, known as CMS, within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. The challenge that CMS was facing was how to reduce overprescribing of controlled substances by certain doctors who were suspected of overprescribing. Tell us more about the motivations for the communications experiment that you helped them run. So there is a lot of concern among policymakers that some drugs are being overprescribed. And I think the, the best example concerns opioid pain relievers. These have been in the news a lot lately. There's been a quadrupling of the opioid pain reliever-related overdose death rate between 1999 and 2014. And so CMS is particularly worried about this potential overprescribing and the effect it's having both on the Medicare trust fund and on the health of Medicare beneficiaries. And so we worked with them to set up an experiment that would try to target potential overprescribers and see if we could bring their prescribing back into line with medical guidelines and what, what most helps their patients. So am I right, Adam? When CMS looked at the data, they realized there were some outliers, doctors doing a lot of prescribing of these controlled substances. The idea here is send them a letter, send those targeted doctors a letter, um, alerting them to the fact that they are way over average in terms of prescribing, whether that's because of fraud or other reasons, letting them know that CMS is aware of it with the hopes that those prescri uh, prescribing rates would decline. Is that fair to say? That's right. So I think this experiment was set up really in contrast to the standard way that Medicare uh, engages with potentially fraudulent and abusive prescribers, which is costly and intrusive audits which require a lot of time and money. So instead, we sent these doctors letters, and the letters had in them a peer comparison. It basically had two graphs, and in each graph, it showed by two different measures how much you were prescribing and how much your peers were prescribing. And because we sent these letters to the very, very top prescribers, these were bar graphs, and the bars for the doctors themselves, was the, these bars were way higher than the bars of their peers. One really important feature of this study is that it was an experiment. It wasn't just sending out letters to these doctors with high prescription rates. It was random assignment. It was sending letters to some of those doctors and not to others so that you can actually compare the two. We should say that there is a literature out there that shows that these types of peer comparison letters 
do work. They have worked in other situations, things like sending letters to doctors to show them their rates of flu vaccines or sending letters to individuals who owe back taxes, showing that most people do pay their taxes on time. So one might have guessed that it would have worked in this situation, but because it was a new setting, you ran the experiment to actually find out if it works. Tell us about the findings. So when we ran this experiment, as you said, even though before the fact maybe we thought it might work, um, we actually detected no effect of this letter on prescribing outcomes. And we knew this pretty quickly. It took us about four months before we knew that the letter wasn't going to yield big effects. And so we regrouped the CMS team, uh, the academic team and the CMS team regrouped to design a more effective letter, or at least one that we thought would be more effective. Obviously, we have to do all these evaluations and actually test them. And it was really helpful to know that this letter wasn't yielding, the initial letter wasn't yielding big results, because with that finding, we were able to push forward with stronger language. And I think that in general, you don't want to use strong language in a letter unless you really have to. But because the first letter didn't work, that gave us kind of the impetus to move forward with this stronger language that talked a little bit more about the negative consequences of overprescribing. And we'll keep a lookout for the results from those updated findings. Adam, in the remaining time that we have, I'd like to uh, get your input for researchers who may be listening to this podcast about how to make these types of researcher-practitioner partnerships successful. What are your tips? Sure. I think I've had a few lessons learned over the last two years doing these randomized trials, and I'm happy to share a few of the thoughts. One is that it's important to have an internal advocate at the implementing partner. Someone like a project manager, someone whose job depends on the study's success, who works for that implementing partner. And that person has to have the authority to ask people at the partner to do things. If you're an academic researcher, you can't really ask someone at the implementing partner to do stuff. But if you have a project manager working there, they can be the conduit for that kind of action. Another thing that's important is to work with people that your implementing partner trusts. With the Colorado study, we work with a consulting group that had already done actuarial work for the marketplace. And so they already trusted their output. So when it came time to send letters, we could say, look, the information that you're sending to your constituents, it's not coming from the academic team. It's coming from a group that you've already worked with, who you already rely on. And that can really allay concerns in implementing partners about whether communications will be accurate. I think it's also important to think in advance about how you're going to maintain enthusiasm at the implementing partner for long-term projects. So it's useful to consider in advance what the potential roadblocks are going to be, discuss those with the implementing partner, and talk about how you might deal with them so that you've got a plan already. And then lastly, I think that running a randomized control trial requires some different managerial skills compared to writing a paper. As academics, we might sit around and brainstorm and talk, have long meetings where we just talk about ideas. But at an implementing partner, whatever organization you're working with, they probably have a lot of things they're working on. And this study might only be one of many issues on their plate. So it's very important to make judicious use of their time, set agendas in advance, and move through them quickly. Try to handle things on your own if you can. I think that implementing partners tend to really appreciate that, and it can really make a study more successful. We'll end this portion of the interview here, but the conversation will continue. I'm going to ask Adam about another experiment that he worked on, this time with the state of Colorado as the partner, and I'll post his answer to the podcast website as a preview of that study. In that case, the state faced the challenge of how to help Colorado citizens choose a health plan on the ACA marketplace that best fit their needs. The study used a three-arm trial, in that case, 
random assignment to one of two different types of letters, in other words, different wording of the letters, or to a control group. I encourage you to check out his discussion of that on the website. For now, though, Adam Sicarni from Columbia University. Adam, thank you for being with us. Thanks, Andy. I'm really happy to get to talk about these studies.